name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christians should take it as axiomatic, my brothers and sisters, that they are entitled to see more meaning in the text of the Jewish scriptures than the Jews can see in those scriptures. They should take that as axiomatic. In fact, however, it seemed to me back when I was going to seminary, I hope it's changed since, but when I was going to seminary, my professor saw a great deal less in the Jewish scriptures than the rabbis saw. Not more, less. Indeed, this is a common thesis all through the New Testament, which speaks of the fulfillment of the Jewish scriptures in the person of the Jew, Jesus of Nazareth. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Jesus instructed his church just before ascending into heaven. Then, said Luke, he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. And thus the author of the epistle to the Hebrews, when he came to the 14th chapter of Genesis, or the book of Psalms, and found the character of Melchizedek, he perceived in that ancient king and priest a great deal more than a non-Christian could possibly see in the story. And in today's epistle, which is from the sixth chapter of Hebrews, the closing verses of Hebrews 6, he mentions Melchizedek to his writers, to his readers, for the first time in this epistle. Speaking of the hope we have in Jesus, he says, this hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made an high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. This morning, I want to consider with you three things about Melchizedek. Just three. There's many other things we could say, but just three. First of all, Melchizedek is the first person in Holy Scripture to be called a priest, a Kohen. If you have Jewish friends where the last name was Kohen, you know they come from a priestly family, they're Levites. Kohen means priest. But Melchizedek was not an Israelite priest. Indeed, he wasn't an Israelite at all. He lived a long time before Israel was given a priesthood. No, the priesthood of Melchizedek was exercised at Jerusalem nearly a thousand years before the sons of Aaron served in the temple of Solomon. Melchizedek was not a Jew. Melchizedek was one of us, the Gentile. His priesthood, therefore, was not a priesthood of the Jews. It was rather a priesthood for all mankind, a universal priesthood for every human being whose shadow has been cast upon the earth. 
The author of Hebrews understands it, therefore, to be a prefiguration of the unchangeable priesthood of God's Son, to whom Melchizedek was made like. Consequently, it was to his own Son, made man, that God asserted in the Psalms, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In this sense, there is no other priest than Jesus. No priest but Jesus. Now this is a hard thought for modern men who do not think of themselves as even needing a priest. Why should they? They can go out in the woods and find God. They can go out on the beach and find God. They can go on the golf course and find God. They don't need a mediator. They have their own private access to God. I mean, I've heard this nonsense fed to me. From I've heard it this, when I was just young, people were saying that, not my parents. You know, in their sense, they're right. They're right in this sense. For the God they worship, they don't need any mediator. That's correct. That's correct. Because the God they worship is a product of their own feelings. It's a product of their own imagination. That God who is only a projection of their own willful and wishful thinking requires no mediator because his existence is inseparable from those who worship him. When they're gone, they're, they're, their God's gone. The true God, however, is not a projection of human thought, human fears, human hopes, or human aspirations. Other gods we may approach on our own because we made them. To this true God, however, we have no access except to the one mediator, the true priest, who is God's own son. I've written on this in a magazine, some magazine that's published in Chicago, why I don't take part in ecumenical prayer services where we pray to, to whom it may concern. <laughs> Unfortunately, I've even heard an Orthodox Archbishop, when asked to deliver a prayer, left out the name of Jesus. He did not pray in the name of Jesus. He was followed by a rabbi who also did not pray in the name of Jesus, but at least the rabbi had some content to his prayer. Point two. Melchizedek's priesthood is inseparable from his kingship. He is both priest and king, says Genesis, quoted in Hebrews. The priesthood of Melchizedek is such that he cannot be the one without the other. The two aspects of his person. And in this respect, too, Jesus is made a priest like unto Melchizedek. Jesus is both priest and king, and the one because of the other. He is not the mediator except by being the Lord. His kingship is inseparable from his priesthood. 
Now, what's the significance of saying this? This means that we cannot take Jesus Christ piecemeal. He is not available to us on our own terms. We do not get him in parts, nor according to our own preferences. Jesus Christ comes to us as a package. We cannot accept him as our Savior without submitting to him as our Lord. If Jesus is not our Lord at home and in the workplace, he is not our Savior when we come to church. If he is not our king when we go to school, he is not our priest when we come to worship him. In vain do we call upon him saying, Lord, Lord, when in the manner of our lives he is anything but our Lord. Unavailing to us is his priesthood if we do not permit him to be our king. And kings have subjects, loyal subjects. And third, let's look more closely at the offering that Melchizedek makes when he meets Abraham. Now think about this. What does he offer when he meets Abraham? Surely what Melchizedek offered on the day he met Abraham, he was accustomed to offer all the time when he exercised his priesthood in ancient Jerusalem. And what did Melchizedek offer? Bread and wine, says Genesis 14. A thousand years before bulls and goats were sacrificed in Solomon's temple. Bread and wine were offered in that very location by holy Melchizedek, whose worship foreshadowed the things we ourselves do this day. We gather here to worship in our own humble temple. Melchizedek offered up bread and wine at Jerusalem. He held up in the sight of God most high a plate of bread and a cup of wine and he chanted out thine own of thine own do we offer unto thee on behalf of all and for all Melchizedek humanity's universal priest took and offered the bread and wine produced by the baker and the winemaker from the fruit of the wheat and the grape grown by the farmer. And thus he prefigured the one who on the night he was betrayed, or rather gave himself up for the life of the world, took bread and wine into his holy, pure, and blameless hands, rendered thanks to his father, and gave these things to his disciples, identifying them as his body and his blood. He thus identified the substance of his own flesh and blood with the fruit of the earth and with the products of human labor.
in this prefiguration of Christ, the king and priests, Melchizedek, reach deeply into the human soul and consecrated it to God's unfailing glory.